Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Goes by the pseudonym Bo Snurdly. It's time for the soul of excellence. He is a radio host at 77 WABC here in New York. The Rush Hour is on the air. Rush, Rush. Now here's Bo Snurdly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Attention Ditto Heads. Attention Bo Scouts. Goes by the pseudonym Bo Snurdly. It's time for the Soul of Excellence. He is a radio host at 77 WABC here in New York. The Rush Hour is on the air. Rush, Rush. Now here's Bo Snurdly. It is July 4th. The nation's birthday. This is Bo Snurley's Rush Hour, and you are here on the crown jewel of American Radio WABC. If you would like to be part of our July 4th Independence Program, 800-848-WABC is the number to call, 848-9222. The polls say, ladies and gentlemen, that only 29% This was in the Daily Mail today. 29%, only 29% of liberals say they're extremely proud to be American. At the same time, a majority of Republicans remain very patriotic. 60% say they are extremely proud to be an American. Independents fall in at around, at around, 33%. And I will tell you that that says a lot about where things are in America. Less than 30% of those who acknowledge being liberal say that they are extremely proud of this country. This, the greatest country. Well, We used to say that almost without thinking. With me, during this first segment, which is rare, usually I like to take it all and pontificate like crazy. But a man that some of you that listen to this program regularly know, he is our quote-unquote historian. Historyauthor.com website. Before that, he worked with the RushLimbaugh.com website, a web producer for many years with Rush. He is also an author in his own right. He is a historian in his own right. He's also an aficionado. He and his wife have written a great Greek cookbook. Dean Karianis, my friend. Dean, how are you? 
It is great to be here with you. Also a columnist at the New York Sun, and I want to thank you for reading my Juneteenth column on the air to all of your listeners. You, it might remind me of the old days with Rush here on WABC, The Voice of New York. It's, it's an honor to be here. Thanks. Well, thank you for taking time with us on this July 4th to be with us. You have a few columns, and I'd like to touch on a few uh, things with you, uh, Dean. July 4th, you know you know where I stand on it. I don't want to rehash it this year. I'm not going to even go there. You can't. But, Here's your nope. Not my show. <laughs> <laughs> but you have a few columns, and I'm going to let you pick where to start. Um, you said there's a column that you wrote this Independence Day, New York's World War One heroes are forgotten in a transit museum closet. I'd like to know a little bit more about that. You also have a column that is appears today in the New York Sun. Yanks feeling pessimistic about their country can repair to the Declaration of Independence. That will, you say, provide a lift. And those are among, I have four columns from you. You mentioned that July 2nd (laughs) is the day that President Adams celebrated independence. Yeah, and of course, you know, you see every every 4th of July, people come out with the interesting factoid about Adams and Jefferson, both dying within hours of each other. On the 50th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence, on that July 4th. So where would you like to start? Well, I want to start with a word you read there from the one of those headlines, and that's the word lift, and about being uplifted, and about being positive. And, and you and I studied it, the bewildering to us oftentimes master of optimism, Rush Limbaugh, of course, and always so positive, and believed that if he could get in the room one-on-one with any one of the people in those percentages you talked about that aren't proud to be America, that he could could convince them, not by hectoring, not by getting in their face and wagging their finger, but really by persuading, by working, by laying some of these things out. And so I I think that's something on July 4th that is really important. And and I thank you again for the opportunity to bring it to the listeners across this massive footprint that WABC has. And I'm sitting here, I have a highlighter that I use maybe once every eight years, but it's from the old Rush Limbaugh, the TV show days. And I guess somehow found its way into my, my pocket when I left. So sorry about that. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> I, you know, it, it reminds me of us sitting in those meetings and the positive attitude and, and all the things about this holiday that meant so much to Rush. And I think he was putting voice, as he often said, and listeners still to this day will say, that it brings joy to them. It lifts them up when they're feeling pessimistic and down. And so I I think that that's something to remember today. And it it doesn't mean, and you hit the word exactly just as I'd written it, which was great. It was just like when Rush used to read this stuff, I would send him. uh, When you said about the, well, America isn't perfect. And you hear Republicans, you hear liberals, you hear conservatives say it very defensively. And, well, it's self-evident, right? It, it's speaking of self-evident truth today. It's self-evident. We, no one ever says that it's perfect. We are all flawed, and certainly the founders are flawed. They knew it. Jefferson knew that, that he was wrong, you know, but the guy just didn't, didn't do it. Unfortunately, he didn't live up to what even what George Washington did alone among the founders to free the people he had enslaved upon his death, the death of his wife, but in his will. So uh, I think we know those things. I think that the Declaration's positives 
It's something that we shouldn't say, well, there's nothing positive about it. Just as about that Independence Day speech that Rush used to give every year, his father's speech. It has some errors in it, some things that were just legends. The people got confused over the years, didn't know that it was right. I think originally Paul Harvey had, had read a version of it that had some mistakes. Well, people use those mistakes to say, well, this is all bull. Well, it's not bull. The, the men who signed that Declaration of Independence, the, I don't think you could find, certainly not today, a ruling class that would be willing to risk it all. These guys were comfortable. They had lives that almost nobody had. And they were so comfortable for that century that they lived in. They didn't need to upset the apple cart. They could have just gone on with their royal titles and just sat around drinking wine and hanging out and letting other people work their plantations. But instead, they they risked literally their lives, as they say in the last line of the Declaration of Independence, their lives, their fortunes, their sacred honor, to try to create something new and better and put us on the road to where we are today. So I think that hopefully the playing that role there and trying to be uplifting to people and persuade people who maybe think if they look at our problems where the media certainly is all focused on our problems. But I think it's a good chance to uplift us, even for somebody like yourself, that you feel, well, I, I don't feel a part of this. I know what was going on. I know what the story was at the time of the Declaration of Independence. And so, you know, but you say. Hey, it set us on that path, as you read in my Juneteenth column, and I appreciate it. That was a necessary first step, the Emancipation Proclamation, to freeing the slaves. And you have to take a step, and I think we can all do that, everybody listening in their lives right now. Don't get depressed by those polls. Go out, go out and do something to try to advance this cause of liberty, because the country has never been perfect. It's about creating a more perfect union, not a perfect union. The, the job of liberty and protecting it is never done. When you talk about the more perfect union, I my first thought always then goes to, well, which nation is perfect? Where is there a perfect? You can go back in the history of almost every single nation on this planet, and if you dig deep enough, you will find atrocities, you will find things that are unpleasant in almost every single nation state that exists. The steps that we took, the steps that America took coming out of the original sin of slavery. Look, had had there been, people might say, had there been more political will, maybe this could have been done at the founding. It could not have been done at the founding, which is why it wasn't done at the founding. The political forces were just as set and locked as they are right now in terms of the divisions, the compromise. And people think that this that the Declaration of Independence, okay, 1776, people that don't study history, okay, all done, America's form. No, the f actual formation of this country continued on well past a decade of, of more intense political machinations before this country really took hold as America. You go back through the Federalist Papers, you go back through what took place um, in, in between the time that the direct Declaration of Independence was signed and the time that our Constitution was ratified. This was a long process, and it was a divisive process in this country, and people seem to forget that. Now, you also, talk to me about Thomas Jefferson for a moment. I don't know whether I've ever mentioned this to you. Um, the DNA that my family ran shows that we're related to Thomas Jefferson, and not through Sally Hemings, by the way. 
No, you've never told me that. I, my wife, uh, Kathy, is going to love that. She's a genealogist, as you know, uh, has a page up there, or services at historyauthor.com, because I, I, of course, I have to give my wife a plug, right? But she uh, she does DNA all the time. You find fascinating things. And I was wondering if you ever did have it done, because you, you hit that wall, as they call it, uh, in the black community, where, you know, as I said again in the Juneteenth column, it, you, you know, you're represented by an ex. People are represented by an X. That's as far as you can get for your ancestors. That's amazing. Yeah. Now, Jefferson, you talk about, I I went into the Jefferson Memorial, and when you read what his own language is, I think it would stun some people that haven't been there. When When he, have you been to the Jefferson Memorial? Yeah, I have. It's pretty, yeah, it's pretty amazing. And his take on what was happening that day, as you said, none of these guys were under the illusion when this document, the Declaration of Independence, was signed, that this was all, America was all perfect, tickety-boo, everything was just wonderful. They understood (laughs) the political problems of the day that still existed. Speak to that for a moment. They definitely did. I don't think it's being apologetic for them or whitewashing it to say that they knew we all do things that we know are wrong that don't live up to our highest ideals we I, i'll speak for myself i certainly raise my voice when i shouldn't and you know it's like i i do that and i might occasionally say a bad word to a person that i regret later and we all do it in moments of peak but also in politics and i think as i was reading about jefferson and struggling because honestly i thought about writing a new york sun column and, and tried to about jefferson and i in preparation for what we were going to talk about. And it was very hard to write it about him without sounding like you're being an apologist for the guy and for slavery. And so I I looked at him and I began to think of something that Rush used to say, because Jefferson worked so hard to build popular support, right, for, for ending slavery. He was happy to call it a moral depravity, happy to call it a hideous blot and say it was contrary to the laws of nature. But when the guy had a personal chance to free his slaves or to refrain from uh, what the DNA there shows, relations with, with people he held enslaved, he didn't do it. And and then you look at it, and his, his reasoning was, well, he was trying to build popular support. He tried to build a law that was later came into fruition, talk about America being a progress when we passed the amendment after the Civil War to confer birthright citizenship, the 14th Amendment, that, that eventually comes to fruition. That was an idea that he had. Everybody who was born to enslaved parents would be free. It didn't make it. And I thought, this is a flaw of Jefferson, too, that's beyond the, the name calling and the obvious immorality of it, but that he sought the pure democracy. And today, when there's this watchword that's cheapened the word democracy, I thought of something that Rush said with Jefferson, and that's that democracy in that pure chaotic form is two wolves and a sheep voting on what to have for dinner. And so in this case, uh, you know, (laughs) people he didn't allow to have a vote, right? Oh, sure. Yeah. Shockingly, (laughs) all the the non-African descendant Americans decided yeah, we, we like having them do the work in the fields. We like being able to be the top dogs. They were never going to vote for it. It had to be torn out of, out of their hands, literally at the point of a bayonet. And so I thought, you know, that's a good angle for us to look back on. And maybe that does some of that persuasion that I was talking about, where people look back and they say, why was he like that? Because he thought, well, we got to use democracy. Whereas later, Abraham Lincoln uh, which is the topic of today's Sun column, that pessimistic one that you mentioned at mysun.com, that has Lincoln saying, hey, 
the Declaration of Independence is the first thing. Live up to those ideals. He says of Stephen Douglas, I don't matter. I'm nothing. He's nothing. But those truths are what we must come back to. We must remember the founding documents. And we must look at it as, uh, in Lincoln's words in an 1858 speech, where a rebuke and a stumbling block to tyranny and oppression. He knew that in order to continue to hold people enslaved, you had to ignore the Declaration of Independence. You had to stick it in a drawer. You had to treat it like an animal farm and just say, well, uh, all men are created equal, all, all animals in that case, but some are more equal than others. So I think that the Declaration of Independence, as Lincoln thought, even above the Constitution, was the charter of those ideals. And once all those men signed it, and they committed their lives literally to it, it put all of us on the hook for that, right? It put us all on the hook to live up to it. And that helped, as the Sun wrote in 1861, when people were, pu- were pushing the peace conference to try to placate the southern states, the Sun was, was saying, heck no, bring it on. If you want, you want war? You want to fight over this I- illegal and, and immoral institution? Let's have it now because we need to renew the Declaration of Independence, as they, which is what they called it, renewing it, because it was a gospel, because it was a declaration in the name of God. And we don't get to change the, the Almighty's rights that he puts in us, the natural law that Jefferson was happy to say slavery is against natural law, but he wasn't willing to go beyond and, and force people, really hold their noses to it and say, hey, I wrote these words. I can't, I can't not live up to them. And yet he, he didn't live up to them when he had the chance. And that's certainly a blot. And none of those quotes on the, you know, you can't read those quotes at the memorial anymore and not say, oh, oh sure, you wrote great stuff. But what were you really doing? It's such a, such a dichotomy. Gene, I'm going to take a break right here, come back, and then I want to talk to you about this story, New York, New York's World War I heroes. Barry White, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know. Takes us in. As many times as we love. July 4th, 2003. Barry White left us. Five time Grammy winner. There's only one. There's only going to be one with this voice. WABC coming back. Dean Carrion is with us. It is Independence Day. Glad you're with us. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. The Rush Hour is on the air. Attention Ditto Heads. Attention Bo Scouts. Rush. On the Red Apple Podcast Network. Birthday, the late great Bill Withers. 
July 4th, 1938. At 40 years old, this record was released. Went up to number four in the charts, but Just one look at you. this song has been covered so many times and by I so many artists. With me, HistoryAuthor.com, New York Sun columnist. Great friend from the Rush Limbaugh days, Dean Carianis, historian. Yeah, a foodie. Talk to me about this plaque, Dean. You wrote a column about a plaque that is uh, was in Grand Central Terminal for many years. And then where is it now? And moved. it honored World War I heroes that died from the, the subway workers, New York City subway workers who were killed in World War I. There was a plaque in their honor. It used to be in uh, Grand Central. Walk us through the history of that, and where is it now? Right now, it's in a closet at the Transit Museum. And I'll I'll tell you, I appreciate the opportunity to remember these guys. Some of them are some of them were the Harlem Health Fighters, who people in New York City, of course, are familiar with. There's more monuments here in New York City to World War One than any other event, and that's uh, according to Kevin Fitzpatrick, who's a uh, Walking Guide tour, a, a former Marine veteran. He's uh, I interviewed him on the History Author Show uh, about his book on the Great War and its, its memorials. And I'll tell you that the passion for this topic almost makes up for having to be, you know, follow great voices like Bill Weathers and Barry White, not to mention yours. But I'll, I'll scrubble ahead with my little voice and just try to raise a little bit as I did in that column about. These, this, this has removed this plaque in 2019 by the MTA, and it just disappears. They, they, they tell Kevin Fitzpatrick that it's over in the Transit Museum in a closet. No word on when it will be returned. I emailed them as well as the Transit Museum for a comment, and I just, I, I heard a, I just got a generic, we got your email, and then, hey, thanks for sending us an email, and uh, we hope everything's great with you from the MTA. And no word on when it would come back. And to me... It, it it's scary because we know nowadays from cemeteries, other places, bronze gets stolen. This bronze plaque that's dedicated in 1939, it's a big, heavy plaque. It could just go missing and be forever lost. It's the only memorial that these men have. We have aviators from the Harlem Hellfighters, as I said in there. Their only memorial that these guys, the only thing to prove they were here and did their bit for, as we said, a, a, a union that was far more imperfect, certainly for them, then 100 years ago than it is for us now. And, uh, for instance, there was a, a black clerk aboard the USS Alcido, Robert McRae. A U-boat strikes the ship, and he goes down with it. There's uh, another another pilot. He's burned, uh, unfortunately, in his plane while he's in training. So he loses his life. He was a subway worker, so he's on there. He's on the plaque. That's uh, Wales v. Brady. So uh, Walter D. O'Connell, he dies off the coast of Brest. The USS Gypsum goes down, takes him and 15 of his crew members with him, I believe, maybe 14. But it, these are losses of life that I think we look back on the Great War. It's such a hideous conflict. It doesn't resolve anything. It just sets up World War II. 
And World War II has is much more exciting set pieces. It has a nice resolution. And I think it's easy to look at these guys and just say, well, we're going we're gonna to check in again for the, for the second World War. And what they did didn't really matter that much. And let's just move on. And I, I would like to see the MTA and the Transit Museum get together and return the, the memorial to a place as intended. This is site-specific. It was supposed to be walked by and seen by commuters every single day. And instead, it's out there just in the back of a dusty closet. It's really an insult to them. So I hope people will, will do what they can if they go and read that column at nysun.com or just want to check it out at History Dean on my Twitter and tweet then to the MTA. And, and I'm certainly not an activist, but these guys have nobody else that's going to be an activist for their cause. I think preserving history, our shared New York City history, is so important. And, and we have a duty. Some of these guys were 22 years old. They were, they were kids. And they gave it all because Woodrow Wilson, who's neither of our favorite and certainly was a uh, hypocrite in his own right, uh, needless to say, to, to put it as nice as I can on family radio. But, you know, telling people that the world is making the, that he's making the world safe for democracy. They they signed up for that or were drafted for that. And they went over there. They gave their lives. They would never ride the A train again. They would never even hear that great Duke Ellington song. Take the A train. They gave up. They gave up all their todays, all their yesterdays, every tomorrow they would have. The least we can do is get this plaque and put it back where it belongs in Grand Central, somewhere people will see it and can appreciate it and maybe walk by, see that name on there. No, these guys existed. Dean, thank you so much. Always a pleasure, my friend, to have you here when we celebrate our holidays, this the nation's holiday. I'm going to have a few more words about that before the end of the show. Um, it is, and one thing I just want to ask very quick. 10, 15 seconds. Are you still optimistic about the future for the United States of America? I cannot help but be optimistic. I, I have to be. I, mean, I, I, I watched what Rush went through. I've seen, read in history, the hard times we've had before. If we could survive James K. Polk buying and selling human beings out of the White House, if we could survive many horrible things, Pearl Harbor that we've had, and 9-11 more recently, certainly. But things when we were in our infancy, the War of 1812 that people don't remember, we could survive anything. But it's going to take all of us working hard to be optimistic and go in and persuade people who are in that unproud area. Talk about, don't be ashamed of, of the country as it is now and say, if you don't like something, hey, even those flawed guys that were the founders gave us the tools to make it better. Dean, thank you so much, my friend. We'll you, catch Dan. you up. Probably, let's see what's next. July 4th, we'll catch you up on Labor Day, at least, maybe before then. Thanks so All much, right, Dean. Good. James Golden, A.K. Snurley here with you. It is Bo Snurley's Rush Hour. We are coming back to your calls. Do not go away. Hi, it's Ernie Anastas. You know, your thoughts can affect how you feel, and how you feel can impact your thoughts. Addressing your mind and body connection is the key to improving your overall wellness. Bergen Newbridge Medical Center is the largest hospital in New Jersey, providing comprehensive, equitable, compassionate, and high-quality emergency inpatient and outpatient medical care, plus mental health services and substance use disorder treatment. The Bergen Newbridge team can address your total health needs in one convenient location. Call 201-225-7130 for an appointment or newbridgehealth.org. Rush. It's the Rush Hour with Bo Snurdly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Round, round, get around. I get around. Yeah, get around, round, round. I get around. I get around.
the Beach Boys. On WABC. July 4th, 1964. This song goes to number one. And it would stay number one for two weeks. It still sounds great, doesn't it? Beach Boys on WABC. I promise telephones and we are going to go to the telephones. I just want to make a real uh, comment first about a few things. Over this weekend, we have seen mass shootings in Philadelphia. There are two in custody at that. After a ballistic vest-wearing suspect killed five people, injured four, Philadelphia, motive unknown. I have a story here about a Maryland woman killed by a forklift that was being stolen. Washington, D.C. police arrested a man, allegedly carjacked three vehicles, shot, killed one person, killed two dogs, too, in the course of his crime spree. There was another, this whole Baltimore shooting. The mayor is blaming Texas and Florida and other states for flooding Maryland with guns, not blaming the killer. There, another mass shooting incident at a house party. There was another one in Texas. And I'm going to ask one more time, and I ask this occasionally, how much longer are the American people going to put up with this? How much longer are we going to put up with these mass shootings and then watching these people that commit these mass shootings live in jail for the, either the rest of their lives or if they're young kids until they're older men? When are we going to actually take tough action? I'm, you know, at the time of the founding of this country, this may surprise you, some of you. I know. I will ask the staff. Let me ask. Let's see whether I start with Ava or with Matt. Here is a question for you. In Virginia, one of the first colonies of the original 13, when you committed an act that was a capital offense, how long do you think it took the state of Virginia, from the time you were sentenced to hang until they abs- till they hung you. How long do you think, Matt, how long do you think that took? I'm going to say a week. Okay, Ava, how long do you think, I'm early say- days of America, Virginia, how long? They sentence you and then you get hung. Like half a day. <laughs> Ava's day. closer. It used to take a day unless it was Sunday. Unless they found you on, then they'd skip Sunday and get you on Monday. They didn't waste time. You were convicted, fine, you're done. If we had that same sort of system, then I'm not talking about where there's doubt in the case, but I'm talking about these people that are caught shooting other people, these mass shooters. If we had a system where criminals understood that within the next day, The next 24 hours, the next 48 hours, they were toast, done. It would go a long way toward restoring America as a land of law 
again, where law prevails. That would not stop everything because there are people, some of these sickos who kill themselves. But let me tell you, there are other people who would look at this and say, you know, there is a deterrence factor, not for everybody, but for some. Also, you may know, and I'm sure you've been hearing about it all day, cocaine found at the White House. Um, people are taking note of the White House visitor log and who was there <clears throat> within a day or two of the cocaine being found. And they're playing a real cutesy on this one. As they're reporting it, they're calling it cocaine hydroxychloroquine. It's cocaine. It's the sniffable, put it up your nose, get high, or put it in a, on a spoon, and I guess that's what they do with it. I don't know, because I've never done it or really investigated how they smoke it like it's crack. It's cocaine. Was it found in the library? Yes, it was found, I.A., in the library. And Is the, Hunter catching up on some reading? I don't, look, I'm not saying, we're not going to use names. I'm not making any accusations. I don't want to wildly speculate. All I'm saying is the cocaine didn't walk itself in there. Somebody brought it in there and left it in there. <clears throat> I wonder who. Let us get to the phones. We're going to start with Tom in Michigan. Tom, thank you for waiting. Thank you for having me. Yeah, that whole thing about believing the weasel dust in the White House, that's uh, quite a story. But following up on your uh, chat with uh, Dean about this, uh, what do you think about the, the, the time that it took in, I guess, the case of British history from the Magna Carta to their colonies declaring their independence? You know, that's 550 years. And you know what? In the course of history, 550 years is what? Two blinks blink. of an eye. Two blinks of an eye. And so I'm, I am so happy you brought this up. Because the Magna Carta, which is not as well understood or taught anymore, was the first throwdown. If you want to look at the throwdowns that changed the world, the Magna Carta for Western civilization was a major throwdown. Here you have a bunch of, again, the noble class, the noble men. Sorry, ladies, the noblemen. Saying to the king, yeah, yeah, you're all of that. Yeah, yeah, you're direct from God. Yeah, yeah, but guess what? We have rights too. And we're going to put you in a position where you have to sign up and sign on our rights and say you acknowledge them. And later, if you look through British history, that followed, was followed in due course by King Charles being beheaded when the noblemen had enough. Now, of course, after their adventure without the monarchy, they returned to it. But if it were not for the Magna Carta, there would be no America. Let me go further. If it were not for the reforms put in place by Henry VIII. And now we're talking about the breakaway from the Catholic Church 
into the Church of England. All of these things played a role. When you look at Prince, when you look at King Philip and his role in Spain, which is very rarely taught, the world events, we didn't get to this place by accident. And you can start looking at history like a jigsaw puzzle and see where certain pieces fit and where things changed that impacted the world and then other things happened. So I look at, when I look at European history, and by I am not an expert at U- European history. I love reading Brit- British history. I love reading what I can of the Spanish history during that era. Even when you look at at the Revolutionary War, most of us look at the Revolutionary War and we say, "Oh, yep, we we beat England socks." Thank you, General George Washington. We celebrate our independence. What we don't remember is that th- this was a world war. It wasn't just the United States fighting England. England was also having conflicts with the French. The Spanish were involved. These were these were the it was the height of colonialism. And these nations were actors on a world stage. And American independence fit right into it by igniting a different kind of light. That being the light of a government of the people and not under a monarchy. And that light has spread now throughout the world like a wildfire. Up until that time, we lived under feudalism and under monarchies in the world. This birth of America was not only about the freedom of Americans, it lit a match around the world that still continues to this day. Thank you for bringing that up. I appreciate it. David, Staten Island, how are you? Bo, touche for your comments. My 10th great-grandfather is Nathaniel Green. He sent a letter to George Washington asking to have permission to send his troops down to the Carolinas to take Cornwallis off his back. He was given two plantations, one in the Carolinas and one in uh, Savannah, uh, Georgia, or thereabouts. I forgot right offhand. But basically what it was is George Washington didn't have a relief. We may not be where we are. I have a very interesting family tree, and I greatly respect and love my country. God bless you all. God bless you, and thank you, and you sure do, with General Nathaniel Green, instrumental in the American victory. Rick, in Elmwood Park, New Jersey, you're on WABC. How are you? Great, James. How you doing? I wanted to wish you and the rest of America a happy 4th of July, and I also wanted to thank you and all the patriots in America that are fighting the Marxist, communist, Democrat scourge that's trying to destroy America. Thank you, Rick. I so appreciate it, and I'm sure everyone here at WABC does as well. This conflict, ladies and gentlemen, that we are having with liberalism is not a new conflict. Let me just say this to everyone. We have seen it, and we forget how divided this country was during the time of the Civil War. We forget. Unless you study it, you don't know. But even during the Revolutionary War, it it is a minority of it was a minority of Americans who stood up 
for the revolution. It was not the majority. The majority were content under British rule. Or if they were content, if they weren't content, they did not want to fight Great Britain. At that time, the world superpower, along with France, this was a a this effort for American independence was nothing short of miraculous. When you look at the size of the forces that the Continental Army was up against. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurley, WABC, Talk Radio 77, Independence Day 2023, coming back. Ah, yes. There is a house in New Orleans. The animals. Birthday, Dave Roberry. From the animals who had this hit. House of the Rising Sun. Coming back, more of your calls straight ahead. On the Red Apple Podcast Network. July 4th, 1971. Music World lost Don McPherson. The lead singer for the U.S. Soul Group. The main ingredient. He died of leukemia. Tender age of 30 years old. tell you, 1972, this was the hit. Remember, he died, Don died in 1971. This is not Don on this one. This is Cuba Gooding Sr. Yes, this is Cuba Gooding, Cuba, yes, Cuba Gooding Sr., father of the actor Cuba Gooding. See, he don't, he's always gone by Cuba Gooding Jr. I had no idea who the senior was. The senior is his dad who had this beautiful voice. 
Gooding Jr. Senior with the main ingredient after Don. Now Don's hits we don't have here in the library. One of these days we'll get him. He did, and you'll hear the difference in the group. I'm so proud, and uh, which is the Curtis Mayfield song that they did over again. Beautiful song, and and spinning around, which was there. It was just like oh, just great songs. And that's when Don was in the lead. And Cuba Gooding became the lead uh, singer after Don died. Okay, let's head back to the uh, telephones and let us talk with Rosemary in Long Island. Hi, Rosemary. Thank you for waiting. Hi there. I just wanted to uh, put out this little piece of information. The man that was just speaking to you about his relative, Nathaniel Green, uh, I'm just wondering if that's the same relative, Nathaniel Green, that uh, Fort Green Park in Brooklyn was named after. I believe it is. And in that park, uh, have you ever been there? Because uh, it's worth visiting. There's a huge monument, uh, monument, making up one monument altogether in the same area, uh, of uh, uh, containing the bones of the soldiers, the Revolutionary War soldiers, um, on our side, of course, uh, who were kept as prisoners on ships out in the harbor there, not too far from where the um, Fort Green uh, is um, named after them. And their bones or their remains were gathered up after the war and um, out of those ships, and um, they were horribly treated, probably starved to death. They probably had all kinds of horrible wounds and um, died horrible deaths, and so those um, remains are in in a certain section of the of this monument, uh, the memorial to them. I have not been in Fort Green in in in, in Green Park in many 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 years. Worth a visit. I mean, one of these days we actually should just you know do a stand down and let's talk about some of the great places in New York. My favorite. My absolute favorite, and I don't know why, was always if I wanted to go just hang out and do like a New Yorkie hangout, I always like going up to the cloisters. And the cloisters, the park grounds are beautiful. It is just so wonderful. But also, in many years, I haven't been to the Brooklyn Botanical Gardens. And when you're at the Brooklyn Botanical Gardens at the right time of year, there is nothing like it. Also, you know, the Queens Botanical Garden isn't bad, but it's not it's not the Brooklyn. Brooklyn Botanical Gardens is a world unto itself. And so we should do that. And some of the nation some of the parks here are just insanely incredible. Cheryl, thank you for the call, Rose Mary. Cheryl and New Rochelle, how are you this afternoon? Oh, thank you, James. Uh what I wanted to ask you, you were speaking with the gentleman who was talking about the World War One vets and the plaque that was in a, in a closet somewhere. And mm-hmm. I was thinking, can't uh, Mayor Eric Adams get that plaque out of the closet? Well, perhaps he could if you were interested. I mean, you know, this mayor is busy. Every time I think Mayor Adams, I think of that, that disco song, I Love the Nightlife. I like to boogie. Uh, yeah, but okay, that's a good idea, actually. Thank you so much. John in Westchester, thank you for waiting. How are you, John? Fine. Happy Independence Day, James. Thank you. What's on your mind, my friend? Oh, we're so lucky to be in this place. I heard uh, Mr. Giuliani 
uh, earlier state that uh, the United States is the greatest country that ever existed. And I'd like to follow up on that. It may be soon said that the United States is the greatest country to ever to ever have existed. I think the United States is going to continue. Now, as I said, I mentioned earlier, we have been a division point with each other since the very beginning of this nation. And that doesn't mean that anything is assured here. We are in a fight for the survival of the American values that we grew up with. Now, America, Rush used to say this too, in some form will exist. What form it will exist is up to us. I am encouraged by some of the things that I see. We have had and we're going to talk about this tomorrow hopefully with Louis Gohmert, Representative Louis Gohmert. We've had four Supreme Court decisions. And if you go back to last term, last year, when Roe v. Wade was overturned, now we've had five monumental decisions that deal with religious liberty, which was at the core of the American experience. That is what this nation was founded on. We've finally gotten rid of the scourge of affirmative action at least out of college admissions. We have gotten rid of the idea that the executive branch can just call, tell people your loans are forgiven, may wave a magic wand, and that's it. These are momentous things. The future looks bright. Tomorrow, Louis Gomert with James Golden. And then I will be on vacation, traipsing around Europe for a few days before coming back. For our Saturday morning radio extravaganza, not this Saturday, but a week from Saturday. May God bless and protect each and every single one of you, your family, your loved ones. God willing, here tomorrow for Louis Gomert. God bless you. God bless this great nation, America. We'll see you later. Bye. Bye.